So we, we should just take a time out and let me get a hold of this baby. <laughs> but okay, we won't. Um, if you will, let's flip our Bibles back to the First Corinthians passage. Um, we said that's on 952. I should have given you a warning. Left your finger in it. You want to have your Bibles open there. We're going we're gonna to look in this passage. We're doing a But God series throughout Lent. And this is our But God passage for today. So we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 18 through 31. Let's pray. Gracious Father, whose blessed Son, Jesus Christ, came down from heaven to be the true bread, which gives life to the world. Evermore give us this bread that he may live in us and we in him, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Well, the longer we go, I, don't, I really don't need to tell you this, but the, what is on my mind is the longer we go, the further along we go, uh, the older our country gets, um, the more convoluted our world seems. And I could give you like a zillion kinds of examples, but one of the latest ones was um, it is now no longer politically correct for a justice nominee to be able to define or give a definition of what a woman is. And I, 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 I was struck when I saw this that there could be such a dilemma in trying to give an answer. Like, how do I give an answer and have this be right and not taken wrong by people who want to take this out of context? Which tells us something about the age in which we live. There is a knowledge or wisdom that we have and we rest on. And it is actually opposed to the wisdom of God. And so we hold, as a general rule in society, we hold our wisdom above that of God's. And then if you are one who holds to God's ways and his wisdom, then you are looked down on, thought to be not kind. Perhaps there is something wrong with you and maybe you're totally unloving, even. It is interesting how distorted some of these things have gotten in just recent years. But what we're going to see in our passage today, that this, is, this is not something new. Our passage today teaches us that the wisdom of the world opposes the wisdom of God, which is revealed in the gospel. So it seems like a very basic, um, <clears throat> very basic lesson. But this is what we're going to look at. So the first thing we're going to see is worldly wisdom is thwarted by God. So Paul dealt with this same thing where the worldly or earthly wisdom was held over that of God's wisdom in his day. He begins talking, though, and addressing this topic with the preaching and how both believers and non-believers view the gospel. Verse 18, he says, The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. So Paul is going to take all the people of the world and break them into two groups. He has a group that are perishing and a group 
that are being saved. Those who are perishing have evaluated this truth revealed or this wisdom revealed in the gospel through humanly or earthly wisdom. And they have held God's wisdom uh, under their own uh, criteria. And they found what is being presented in the gospel to be foolish. It is ridiculous. It makes no sense. And the rest of the verse says, But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So to those who are being saved, we see this message of the cross, not as foolishness, but as the power of God to redeem the broken and helpless men and women, redeeming them from death and sin to life. See, the Holy Spirit regenerated your mind and gave you a new perspective through which to evaluate the claims of the gospel. So it's through the regeneration of the Holy Spirit that you are able to actually see clearly. Paul is bringing correction to the understanding of the people. And in doing so, he is saying that the reason they have divisions, and if in your, in your Bible, if you'll just glance up at the next man-made heading, um, beginning in 10, we've got a man-made heading above that, it says divisions in the church. Paul's addressing these divisions, and he's saying you have these divisions because you are using human wisdom again. Now, he is talking to the church, and he's saying that the church is using the human wisdom. And so he's, he's trying to bring it back out and give a great big uh, picture here. And then in verse 19, it says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. In this verse, Paul is pulling a verse from the Old Testament out of Isaiah 29, where Isaiah rebuked um, the people for putting God to the test and relying on the wisdom of the wise or the discernment of the discerning. Same, it's the, all the same verbiage is there. The Lord de declares in this passage out of Isaiah that he will do wonderful things for his people, but he's going to thwart human wisdom and discernment. I think that the world could use a gift of more common sense. Well, that's not what this is talking about. It's not talking about people with common sense. This is talking about that which James referred to in chapter 3 of his book, uh, James 3, 14 and 15 says, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual. And he says even demonic. We, it, it, to expand on James, there's, he, he thinks there are like two groups of people too. Uh, those in the devil's camp and those that God has redeemed. But Isaiah mocked um, the Egyptians, the, the wise men from, from Egypt who couldn't comprehend the ways of God. He ridiculed also the Assyrians 
for their arrogance of thinking that they would be victorious over the God of Israel. So Paul's doing the same kind of thing. So there's this context in which these verses which Paul is quoting out of Isaiah, Paul is doing what Isaiah did. And so he is um, confronting and he is um, ridiculing the, the people of this church in Corinth. He calls out the wise men. He calls out the philosophers. He calls out those things which they are resting their hopes on. Those things where they're looking for wisdom. Verse 20, he says, Who is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? The Corinthians, um, they were very fond of their philosophers, the, the Greeks would have been. They had great debaters, they, and those with earthly wisdom, and they highly revered those people, which we do the same kind of thing. Those it revered in our society would be those who are wise, those who are pundits, those who speak eloquently. Verse 21 says, For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. The wise, they couldn't see this true reality. They saw through the lens of this earthly fallen wisdom. They, they are, were looking through this glass dimly at the time. Their philosophers and their leaders didn't have an intimate relationship with God. They didn't know him personally. They, out of their own wisdom, out of their own strength. The gospel message is folly. It's foolishness to those in the world because they cannot reason a God of any sort sending his son to pay our debt, calling us righteous, and coming to reside inside of us by his Holy Spirit. Those who are perishing have received general revelation. It is not that they don't know God exists. The Bible tells us that through general revelation, or through all of the creation, that man is without excuse, man and woman, people, are without excuse because they stand condemned because they know that God exists. The problem is that they do not worship him. Paul in Romans 1 talks about this, and he says that they have traded or exchanged the worship of the Creator for a worship of the creation, that which he has created. So there's this knowledge that they have of him, but they don't have a personal knowledge or an intimate knowledge or an intimate relationship. The Jews also, certainly, as they had the Old Testament and they had all the practices, those Jews who were the non-believing Jews would have known lots and lots of things about God. But in their human efforts, in their own strength, they could not come to know Him. So God chose a crucified Savior to save His people. This the wise would consider foolish. 
But by ordaining this means and method of salvation, a crucified Savior and the preaching of it, he made the world's wisdom foolish. He put to shame the wisdom of the world. So the next thing we're going to look at is that the worldly power is also thwarted. So in verse 22, it says, The Jews demand sign and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So the Jews throughout the Gospels asked for signs over and over again. Could we have a sign of when these things are going to happen, they would say. All of Jesus' miracles, his miraculous works, those weren't enough to convince them that he actually came from God, that he was the Messiah that had been promised from long ago. So how would a sign help them anymore? So Jesus always talks about how he refuses to give them a sign. The Greeks didn't ask for signs, but they took great pride in their philosophical sophistication, that sophistry, that thing where this wisdom, this super knowledge, where they uh, debate great ideas. Many Greeks rejected the gospel because it didn't meet their fallen standard. They have a standard of truth. They have a standard of understanding. They have a standard in which to interpret the world around them. And this message of the cross did not compute. So they rejected the Christ. But in contrast, Paul says, we preach Christ crucified. Now, the Jews expected this Messiah to be this militant power, a military power to come and conquer. A conquering king is what the expectation was. They expected the king, this coming conquering king, to receive blessings upon blessings from God. They did not anticipate that this uh, Messiah would be the one who would, who would carry the covenant curses of the people. The Gentiles could not have created a more upside-down religion. A creator God who redeems his people by death. But to those who are called, the message of the cross is Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, he says. This is not the power expected of the Messiah. He was expected to come with great might and military force, but our Savior is gentle and lowly. He is one who dies in our place, and the cross turns wisdom and power both upside down. So then finally we see that Paul is telling the Corinthians, but I think the Lord is also telling us, remember who you once were. So verse 26, he says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. So to help 
bring this big picture to the people to help them see that they have no reason for boasting or for creating division. Paul tells them these things. And he calls them brothers to emphasize this relationship that they have, that they are together and they are brothers in the Lord. He wants to help them understand that they, uh, they belong. They belong to the family. He calls them back to their calling. He says, remember your calling. It wasn't your wisdom. It wasn't your wealth. It wasn't your power. It wasn't your position that gained you access into this family. But it was only by God's good nature that you are in. When talking to people, uh, particularly young uh, men entering ministry, I will talk about the call and your call to ministry. Because I think the thing that sustains you, so I'm seeing a parallel between what I tell people specifically about ministry, but it also relates to us and are simply our walk. And, and the thing that's going to propel us further is still, yes, the gospel. That which brought us is the same thing that's going to propel us further. But when I'm talking to young men about going into ministry, I suggest that they remember their calling. And then as times get tough, or if things are great, what you want to do is remember your calling. Because what, you are, what you're called to do is be faithful to this calling that you receive. So you, you're always looking forward with a glance in the rearview mirror. You don't want to forget the fact that the Lord called you to this. Uh, if we're only going to rest in the success of what we can see, personally, I would have quit a long time ago. But that's just not how this works. The Lord didn't say, go and do this, and then I'm going to grant you the wisdom to know how many people are going to join you and what er earthly wisdom might look like as far as success goes. He calls you to something, and then he, ex he expects you to be faithful in that. So you just walk it out and you let him do the work. So that, that's my suggestion to young, uh, young people entering ministry, but it's my suggestion also for us. This is Paul's suggestion for the Corinthians. Remember your calling. Re remember that you, get, you, you brought, I, I, I yell at you people all the time, I say you brought nothing to this other than the sin from which you needed saved. You contributed nothing to your salvation. And boy, that's hard for me to understand. I mean, I, I believe it, and I think I even preach that well. But it, it is challenging for us because we want to think we are contributing to our salvation. It's something we're wired in us. We are bent from the fall. And so we got to remember our calling. we got to look back and say, okay, it wasn't us. It was him. It's really looking back at the truth of the gospel. Now, that doesn't mean we don't do anything. That's, that's, if you, if it's the justification piece. It's that coming to faith. We are regenerated. That's why we have interest in who God is and what he says. This is how we hear it and we believe it. We understand it. It changes our heart. And then we are justified. And that is a one-way love by God. 
after that, it's a the process of sanctification. Those who are being saved means we are participating with the Holy Spirit as he purges sin out of us and we are to live for him. But we're coming to verse 27, which Paul lays out that you brought nothing to this. It was out of God's good nature that he saved you. And then verse 27 says, but God chose. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring the things, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. It is God's doing, and only God's doing, that brought you out of death and into life. But God chose. I think, I think, I think for our, uh, to, to remember this point, what, what does the but God for this lesson have to do with? It's but God chose. Like, for, uh, so Paul's concerned about addressing these divisions that are here. These, these people had forgotten the basics. And they began to think of themselves more highly than they ought. They began to believe that they had something more to contribute, or they were under a discipler who had something more to contribute. Was it Apollos? Was it this one? Was it that one? They, and these divisions started to be created. They, they had some reason to think of themselves more than they should, so they, they were superior to others. But what Paul's trying to tell them, what Paul's trying to tell us, what God through Paul is telling us is that all ground is equal at the foot of the cross. There are not different levels. They needed reminded that there was no grounds for boasting. He wanted, you, he wanted them to remember their calling and then abandon any thoughts of superiority or inferiority or anything else that might create division. We are all hopeless without God's intervention. This, is, this concept of the, having the superiority or inferiority, this is what I, I talk about how that the gospel is that leveling uh, it's, it's the leveling field for all of us. That there are, because of the, the way we're wired, because of our uh, past life circumstances, because of the conditioning we've received, so, and, and then sometimes it's just in, in, in the, uh, that, the wiring that's in our brains. So those, who may, uh, those of us who may be tempted to find pride, the gospel brings us low. For those of us who are tempted to, to, to have the pity party and woe is me and I can't add up and I amount to nothing, the Lord lifts high. The gospel does this. It, it equals the playing field. 
that there, there, there should be no room for boasting or talking about those things where you're superior or those things where you're inferior. Because it's not about um, how you're comparing with other people. It's about whether or not the Lord has saved you. Whether or not the message of the cross has brought this power of redemption into your life. In bringing these things, as Paul's, Paul's talking about people and he calls them things, this sounds very bad. It's not bad. Paul's just trying to find, um, he's, he's, try, he's trying to help them understand this contrast between the world's wisdom and this God's uh, heavenly wisdom. He's, he's saying, uh, abandon those thoughts of inferiority and superiority. Don't be doing anything that's creating division. Because uh, he's, say, he's saying those, uh, those things or those people who are common of low value in society, according to the world's standards, he shames the wise and the strong of the world by bringing redemption to them so that we can boast of our position of being in the family, but we boast only in the Lord. Verse 30 says, And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. The, so if, if I were, I'm not a great note taker. I would do this, but God chose, and then I would write, in Christ. Uh, if I were to take a note, put it in my bulletin, so that I could have something to refer to. This in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom of God, wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. It is because of what God in Christ Jesus has done through the Holy Spirit that you are in the family. Is what what Paul is saying. Then Paul says, believers are in Christ. That's that union with Christ. So when we come to believe, we are connected to this power that is greater than the powers of the world. This union of Christ enables us to experience that death to the old self. As we died with Christ, as we were buried with him in our baptism, and then we have tasted and we have this hope for the future. We have tasted of the heavenlies as God in Christ seats us in the heavenlies with Christ. When you're reading through Colossians and you see that we are seated in the heavenlies with Christ, you're like, but wait a minute, I'm here. There's so, something does not make sense here. Well, there's this experiential part where we physically still, yes, are here, but spiritually we are connected to Christ and therefore we have this taste of the heavenlies because we are in him. This also should bring us some uh, comfort and assurance that there's, there's language in our circles where, uh, you know, if, if you're carrying on conversations at your water cooler, there may be the conversation of this once saved, always saved. We talk about the perseverance of the saints. We believe that those whom God has called, those whom he has regenerated, 
This is Bible. It's, it's, not, it's not something clever for us. We just believe the Bible says those who he has called, he will justify. Those whom he's justified, he will sanctify, then ultimately glorify. So those whom he's called, he doesn't, he doesn't call some. There's a sense in a general call to everybody all the time. That's what the, the general revelation is about. God is here. God knows. You can, you can know God. Then there's a specific call or an effectual call, whereas a, by God, through the Holy Spirit, calls those whom are his out of the world, the sheep out of the sheep pen, so that when he speaks, they know his voice and they turn and follow him. Thanks be to God. So out of the world we have been called. Those who are called will persevere through the end because they are in Christ. The idea that I lose my salvation with this understanding that we are in Christ, and Paul just uses this like over and over and over and over again. This is a real thing, but some, some of us have missed this as we've read the Bible for years until somebody points this out to us that you are connected to Christ. So the idea that I lose my salvation would be much like a ripping apart, more like a, 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 a tearing away, uh, uh, the way a kind of a divorce just tears a family apart. It's that kind of thing that the, if, if that were true, and, and the Bible uses language that if it were possible, but it's not, it does not say it's possible, what it does say is possible is that God will save those whom he has called, and that's why we talk about we are saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. So there's a work in process, and that's the language Paul is using about these people who believe they are in the process of being saved. But this union with Christ should bring great comfort, and, can, and, and it should bring comfort and assurance to you as you think on these things. Because the, the power that we have to die to self, and whether that's dying to self so that we're not going to run our own pity party, or if it's dying to self so that we're not going to boast in our accomplishments, this is because we are able to die to self because we are connected to Christ. This is where we have this power. We have the power, we, by being connected to Christ, having the Holy Spirit dwell in us, we have power that is beyond ourselves to actually go through these hard things. So he, he, doesn't, he doesn't want people to just be quiet and not do, don't create division. He wants those people who are creating division to learn how to die to self and live for him. So as we embrace this true doctrine that we are in Christ, this union with Christ, we should be able to go one step further and say, okay, because of that, I can access the heavenly powers that the gospel does give us, and I can die to self so that I'm not worried so much about being right, so I'm not worried so much about getting my way, so that I'm not worried so much about arguing with my sibling. That's right. I thought Dad was even going to give an amen on that one. These are the things where you say, okay, there is an ability to die to self. And 
I've been stubborn all my life, and then I just get older and harder headed. So this idea that, like, I'm not going to move in. I got, I like, I got these big ruts. You all ever been on a mud road, dirt road? You're going to fall into these ruts, and you got to stay in them because to try to get out of them, it bounces you around. And I hit a tree that way one time. So I just stay in ruts. You're going to fall into it. Well, I got these ruts. I got that are well worn, well worn. And uh, it takes some, like, okay, I got to stop what is natural to me. I got to tap into the unnatural, the supernatural, so that I can die to self and not have to be whatever it is, be right at the time, not be aggravated at the time, not, not go with my gut instinct always. So this would have like a zillion different applications. Those are the ones I'm thinking of. But in that, no room to boast. There is no room to boast. There's no room. There's really no room for the whining. So I want to separate that from crying. If you're sad, the Lord wants to hear you. The Lord wants to wipe your tears away. The whining because you are not what somebody else is. Paul's saying that the cross... That's that, what you're dealing in is worldly wisdom. That is, that is not being uh, united to Christ in heavenly wisdom. So you need to tap into the power and say, Lord, help me die to self in this way. Help me believe your gospel so that I know that I am yours. And therefore, what the other people in the world have to say about me is not nearly as important as what you have already said about me. So because we have been... Uh, seated with Christ in these heavenlies, and we have access to this heavenly power, we simply can live differently today because we are in Him. He is our righteousness. He is our sanctification. He is our redemption. But God chose. The one true God that brought again our Lord Jesus from the grave, but He also brought you out of that grave as well. May we be found only boasting in him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.